just when you think there's a little bit of optimism, just when it looks like the market might crawl its way back out of this steepening hole, right back down into it again. I'm talking specifically about those three little letters, O, I, and L. But in the United States, it's also W, T, and I. Oil prices. Oil prices down big again today, below $70 a barrel. Worse than that, the contango in the front two contracts has reached around 13 cents. And even worse than that, contango has now spread between the July and September contract. These are not good signs about either money or demand in the economy. So basically the two themes behind the 2008 style scenario, deflationary money, deflationary economy, oil is saying again, it is happening. We've already talked about repo, US dollar, uh, US dollar repo, as well as US treasury collateral, a video I did this weekend, a video I did just yesterday, which suggests that the US economy may already be in recession by the first quarter. GDP, the opposite side of the GDP coin and GDI, some substantial as well as historically validated recession signals there. So there's that one as well as Germany. We already know Germany was in, the, in recession in these exact same two quarters. And all of these things, all of it, oil as well as the uh, GDP, GDI, economic recession, all of it points back to the same point in, uh, in the, on the calendar in, in economic history. I'm talking, of course, about last fall, September, October in particular. We keep seeing it all over the place, including one more, the situation escalating in the real economy as well as in the banking system. I'm talking about European loans. And European loans, like the European curves, those topped out last year, September and October too. That seems to have been the global crisis inflection point, which most people only saw beginning in March with Credit Suisse along with Silicon Valley Bank. But if you look back at what happened last fall, what you'll see is it wasn't rate hikes that began to trigger the setback. It wasn't, it wasn't Federal Reserve or ECB policies, but other things. Other things including Credit Suisse, what was going on in Switzerland, the Swiss National Bank dollar auctions. All of it ties together. So today we're going to go over the bank lending data. We're going to go over what might have been going on with Credit Suisse that pushed the banking system into this deflationary direction, as well as where we are in terms of the deflationary money and deflationary economy coming together from the perspective of Europe, which Europe is a big part of the global economy, which brings us back to oil, which suggests that this is not a local phenomenon or one place or another. It is everywhere. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available. We get into the background details behind the Eurodollar system, the actual monetary system, what it is and what it is telling us and how we can tell what it's telling us. If research subscriptions, which does, which does a lot of that, those types of things too. Partnership with Stephen Van Meter and Tracy Shukart, as well as my daily deep dive analysis, where we dive deep into all of these things because they deserve a deep dive, uncovering what might be going on behind the scenes in the monetary shadows and what that means for today as well as tomorrow. All the information about memberships and research products, eurodollar.university. So we keep coming back to September, October, 2022, but why? 
Most people say, I mean, it's, it's all over the mainstream. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the ECB. There was aggressive rate hikes. I mean, the ECB did its first 75 basis point rate hike in September. So isn't that the answer to all of our problems? That's when the ECB, in particular for Europe, really became really aggressive. But we stop and think about, okay, yeah, that was a 75 basis point rate hike that became effective on September 14th, but that raised their MRO or their midpoint from 0.5% or 50 basis points to 1.25% or 125 basis points. Is 1.25% policy benchmark rates enough to have triggered what we now see today as a growing bank, bank crisis as well as recession along the way? No, just like in 2018 and 2019, where some very modest rate hikes, whether they were at a much less accelerated pace or not, doesn't really matter. 2018 and 2019, the recession that developed in 2019 into 2020, pre-COVID around the world, that wasn't because the federal funds rate, funds rate went from around zero, gently up to around one and a half to two percent. That doesn't, it strains all credibility as well as common sense. It wasn't rate hikes that turned the, the European banking system upside down, where we had at least steady growth and even accelerating growth in lending to non-financial corporations. Suddenly in September and October, as if it, was as if it was as if someone flipped the switch and it wasn't a 75 basis point rate hike. Instead of looking at the ECB, let's talk about what that one particular bank in Switzerland was doing during this particular time. Back in September, the uh, Credit Suisse had announced it was trying to raise capital. So already Credit Suisse was in the news because it was having problems, which everybody, everybody talked about it as, as something, it was legacy and, and scandal issues, not really necessarily what was going on inside the bank is maybe the tip of the iceberg for what other banks were experiencing too. But here's what, here's what CNBC said about last September, Credit Suisse suddenly showing up on everyone's radar. Credit Suisse is sounding out investors for fresh cash, two people familiar with the matter said, approaching them for the fourth time in roughly seven years as it attempts a radical overhaul of its investment bank. The bank started in recent weeks to speak to investors about the move, the people said. Various scenarios are under discussion for the investment bank, including the most drastic option of largely, largely exiting the US market, two sources said. The bank came out immediately afterward and said, no, we're, we're not even thinking about something like that because why would they ever admit to some drastic moves to that degree? But what they said is true. And it always, it always brings us back to this one question. Why now? Because as CNBC pointed out, Credit Suisse has been a troubled bank for a very long period of time. Why suddenly these rumors of more drastic actions in September 2022 because of rate hikes? Well, what happened in October? In October, Credit Suisse uh, reported a large quarterly loss for the third quarter, as well as stepping up its drastic actions. Didn't want to admit that it was, it was thinking about exiting the US market, but it suddenly put up its securitized financing division for sale. Um, and what they said was, in, by November and the accelerated sale to Apollo, which eventually, which eventually came through. Again, this was announced in October. They said this was an important step towards a managed exit from the securitized products business, which is expectedly, expected to significantly de-risk the investment bank and release capital to invest in Credit Suisse's core business. 
de-risk the investment bank. De-risk the investment bank. In November, after everything that had happened in terms of what must have been serious liquidity problems as well as potential for more, September into October than, than November. The bank was already saying things were different. And it wasn't different because of the ECB's rate hikes, even if the ECB did get a second 75 basis point rate hike in early November. This train had already been set in motion from earlier on in 2022, de-risking the investment bank. What was its securitized or secu yeah, securitized product division involved with? Well, it's all the stuff that we've been talking about on this channel. Securitized products, mortgages, commercial real estate, this is how it's described by Credit Suisse on its own website. Expertise in whole loan purchase, sales securitization, and warehouse acquisition financing. Mm, there's an important one. In residential mortgage, performing and non-performing, as well as REO, commercial real estate, and consumer commercial loans and leases. They are basically heavily involved in packaging, warehousing, and financing all of these things that in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank and the March banking crisis, we now consider questionable. Was Credit Suisse essentially the systemic canary in the coal mine? I think it was, because then you get a, you move forward to March, the bottleneck, the seasonal bottleneck, liquidity problems global, uh, worldwide, globally, because of rate hikes, because of money market funds seeing deposit migration. No, there's more going on here than simply uh, uh, central banks trying to get control over consumer prices that are already largely set in motion in the wrong direction, in the other direction. Uh, depends on your perspective whether or not that's the wrong direction. So Credit Suisse, again, why now? Why last fall? Why did it take March before the troubled bank became an insolvent bank? What is actually going on here is more than just central banks trying to fight consumer prices. It's deeper than that. It's more systemic than that because we have Silicon Valley Bank that on the surface has absolutely no relationship to Credit Suisse, yet those two are joined together in more than just inconvenient timing in the middle of March. It's a systemic global monetary bottleneck as well as everything that told us all along the way, September and October last year. Big change, not just in European rates markets and forward rates, also, obviously, the U.S. Treasury market, as well as U.S. dollar forward rates, too. The entire global system, September and October. It wasn't about rate hikes. We look at European bank lending data, and it, again, it tells us the same thing. Something flipped a switch with European banks. It wasn't just about the one bank, Credit Suisse. It was about all European banks experiencing the same things at the same time. Again, was that rate hikes or was that because those inside the banking system, the monetary system, took a look at Credit Suisse and others and said, Credit Suisse is the tip of the iceberg. There's more going on here. And as the economy gets weaker and weaker, heading toward recession, global recession, that only means more trouble, not less. And what do you do if you're a bank? And you think that, well, you know, I'm at risk of deposit problems. I'm at risk of wholesale funding and collateral shortage problems. What do I do? You do the same exact thing Credit Suisse did with its investment division, investment banking division. You de-risk. 
And de-risking means a number of things, but a lot of those things are beyond your control. What you can control is what's on your balance sheet. And that means if you're worried about funding, if you're worried about risk-weighted asset, you're worried about all the counting stuff, capital ratios, liquidity ratios, regulations, all those kinds of things, you, it, at the very least, you stop lending. You do not a Fed pause or an ECB pause, you do a bank pause. And a bank pause is something that we saw in Europe develop again September, October into November and the rest of the year. It's something the European banks did previously. When? The middle of 2011. Banking crisis then. Previous before that, 2008. Banks in Europe are behaving exactly the same way they did at the beginning of those two prior bank crisis recession periods because all of these things are combined together. The ECB's bank loan data shows, I mean, basically just confirms everything we've been talking about here. Total loans in Europe peaked in September. As of April, the year-over-year -year change is down to 2.5%, which is the lowest since October 2021. But again, most of that is, is backloaded. Most of the decrease is, is actually in the second six months of that year, uh, yearly comparison. In fact, on a six-month basis, total loans in Europe are now down. 0.2%. That's the first time since 2017. And we're starting to get into these comparables where we have to go back to the bad times around 2014 when you start when we had loans in Europe contracting at a regular basis. That's how quickly this has developed because it all goes back to September and October. Total loans in Europe are now contracting on a six-month basis. Six months, that's a long enough period. That's not some random fluctuation, nor is it random timing. Household lending, that's a big one because household lending has been largely dependable all the way back to 2014. Didn't matter in 2020, banks still lent to households. There was only a little bit of a hiccup in loans for largely mortgages. But in, again, we see September, October slowdown rolling over into November. Uh, as of April, the latest data we just got, year-over-year uh, -year change in household loans is 2.7%. That's the worst since December of 2018. And again, most of that's backloaded into the second six months. Um, the six-month change is still positive, but barely, 0.3%, which is the worst, the worst since December of 2014. So household loans, which is a key credit crunch crisis signal because banks in Europe have been They've been only too willing to continue to lend to households. Um, Non-financial corporations, business lending. Businesses like they had in America, businesses in Europe, they, lo they loaded up on bank loans in 2022, anticipating rate hikes, yeah, part of it, as well as maybe worse conditions going forward. They, they raised their level of liquidity as a defensive measure and banks were only too willing to supply it because banks usually have to get hit over the head by a crisis before they really change their lending behavior, which September and October. So once again, we see rolling over in bank lending in Europe to non-financial corporations. That's also negative on a six-month basis. So basically, every major source and every major use of credit in Europe since last September and October, it's turned downward, lower. No wonder Germany's in recession. Europe's not too far behind. And we're talking about the same thing all across the global economy because it isn't just one place or another. It's every place. It's globally synchronized deflationary money, deflationary banking, 
and eventually deflationary economy. We've got the recession. We just need all of these things to get together in just the, the wrong way. And it turns into the 2008 style scenario. After a little bit of disruption in bond markets, rate, rates markets around the world, we're starting to get the 2008 style scenario back in the fluctuations, the ebbs and flows in the crisis, in the markets, in the banking system, everywhere else. We've got rates that were, that were moving higher over the last couple of weeks. Now they're moving lower. Now that, now that the debt ceiling in the United States has been taken off the table, the rates have gone lower again. Now that the, nobody has to worry about the debt ceiling, we've seen rates go lower the last couple of days in Europe. They're down sharply. I believe the 10-year Treasury bond is down to around 240 again. See the same thing in the United States market. So after the artificial intrusion of the U.S. debt ceiling temporarily raised interest rates around the world more in the U.S. than anywhere else, now we're going right back into worrying about the more important factors of deflationary banking, deflationary money, deflation, de-risking the, the lessons of Bear Stearns, along with, of course, global recession in those pictures too. So without the debt ceiling, we've got markets going back to where I think they want to be, which is highly hedged against all of these things that continue to develop in exactly the way you would expect, leading toward uh, in rates markets, getting back towards zero interest rates again. In the real economy, a 2008 style scenario, as well as the banking crisis that puts us all into that situation. So bank data, oil prices, repo, I mean, it's, it's, it's really everywhere. It's not a one thing or another, it's increasingly everything. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, huge thank you. Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, as well as all of our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.